0: Welcome to this episode of the Network Marketing Heroes Podcast, hosted by 38-year network marketing veteran, author of best-selling books, The Four-Year Career, and Mach 2, With Your Hair on Fire, and world-renowned speaker, Richard Blissbrook. Stay tuned after this episode for an exclusive discount code to get 10% off Richard's tools on BlissBusiness.com.
1: Awesome. Well, welcome, everybody, to tonight's Hero Call. We have two beautiful special guests that Kimmy and I have waited, seems like, years to interview. They're so busy and uh, building a brand new company the last couple of years, so it's been hard to track them down, but uh, boy, what a fantastic story of love and finance. You're going to hear tonight with Sarah and Tony Zalecki from Modair. Tony and Sarah, are you here?
2: We are. Thank you for having us on. We're so excited to uh, get a chance to share a little bit on the call and more importantly, share it with you.
0: Hello, everyone. Excited to be here. Yeah, it's
1: not, the, you know, most of the people I interview, uh, you know, I some people I've never met, um, you know, we, we certainly do our due diligence to look at their numbers and we, we get some feedback from other people to ensure that they fit the philosophy of Bliss Business, that they've built a four-year career and they've done it ethically, mm-hmm. but uh, we've known each other for quite a few years. We've Mm -hmm. had some fun together. We're going to have even more fun together Mm -hmm. in the profession. And you two have a really fascinating story of, um, you know, great experience, great ups and downs, uh, great wisdom that you've gained in the profession. And magically, how about that? You found love.
2: We did. Yes. And we weren't (laughs) even looking.
1: Well, maybe that's the best way. So, <laughs> hey, let's dive into it. Um, and, Sarah, you guys have you know different stories in the beginning, so uh, I'm going to ask each of you to tell your story. And one of the things that we really like for the listeners to hear in these stories is, how did you first get approached with the idea of network marketing and specifically what we want to know? is who approached you, and the name isn't important, but how you knew the person is important. And what did they say to you, if you remember, and what was your response initially, and then obviously you got involved, so you know, were you a skeptic in the beginning, and if so, what was your excuse, what was your pushback, and then what happened or what did they say that compelled you to join that company so Sarah we'll start with you can you tell that story
2: I can so I was introduced to network marketing when I was 21 and at the time I was going to school super part-time college um, and I was also working as a full-time nanny for um, actually two different families that played in the NHL um, hockey here in Minneapolis and um, I was introduced to network marketing through my boyfriend at the time, and he had been involved with um, with the company uh, that I, the first company I was involved with for a little over four months, and he never, uh, like, he didn't put me on his list. And after four months, his sponsor was like, hey, you should probably maybe talk to your girlfriend. You know, this might be something she, you know, might want to be interested in. And he, I don't know, for one reason or another, just never connected. And then finally he did. And um, I I remember I told him that I would come. He invited me to take a look, like come to a meeting um, back in the day. And I told him that I would come. But I didn't. <laughs> I was one of those people that said, "Sure, I'll be there." And they and we know and I know showed on them. Um, you know, if you would ask me why I didn't, I don't. I don't remember. I don't know if maybe I had to work late. I so I was juggling kind of a lot at that time. Um, I don't know if I just blew him off because I was so close to him. It was just kind of like, well, whatever. I can look at it at another time. Um, but I did that three different times. Um, wow. Whether I canceled because I couldn't do it or I no showed. Finally, the fourth time, um, I came and I remember walking in a room. There was a, it was about, oh, probably about a hundred people in the room and I sat down. And I just fell in love with what they talked about. Now, if you ask me what they talked about, I don't even remember. I just remember the girl in front of the room used to be a teacher, elementary teacher, which I always wanted to be that was kind of like if you asked me when I was five what I want to be, I would say teacher. So I just fell in love with her. Um, I loved what she was wearing, and I remember she was wearing silver shoes, and I was like, I want those shoes. <laughs> so like that—that's what got me excited. I loved—I I loved the people that were in that room. I loved that they were positive. Um, I loved that um, they had—they were all part of something that was much bigger than them, and. I think I just I just needed something new in my life that could get me excited because I was 21 and I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I was kind of, I was doing the deal with my job and um, and working, or I mean, and going to school, but I just had, I really didn't have direction. I didn't know where I wanted to go. So that was kind of like my first exposure. So number one, I was totally prejudged. Um, and number two, I was a person that no-showed, you know, three different times before I finally you know, came into the business.
1: Okay, so tell us about that. Um, that was Equinox, wasn't it?
2: It was. I was there for five years. Yep.
1: Wow. Yeah,
2: I was that's there for five a, years.
1: That's quite an indoctrination. Tell us, what did you learn in that five years, and what kind of success did you have?
2: So, um, my first three years, I, um, I barely made any money. Um, but I had a ton of fun, Um, and then I realized, well, hey, you should probably learn how to make money. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I remember going to events, and I would go, but I didn't have anybody with me, and then my upline was like, Sarah, here's the deal. Like, events are great, but, like, you want to bring people to events with you. Like, you don't want to just go. Like, I went to every event there was. I flew to my events. It was crazy. I didn't drive. I mean, I was one of those just, like, I don't know. I mean, I, I wasn't a quick study. I didn't understand the power of events and how it's about, you know, getting people there where they can learn how to become independent without you and, and, and those types of things, Um I uh, finally, after three years, I started catching on to that and really started learning how to master promoting for events. I think that's um, what I really – I fell in love with that skill and um, started making money, um, not a ton of profit, but enough where I broke even and I wasn't, like, dying on the vine, right, so to speak. And then after five years, um, that company, unfortunately – um, was shut down by the FTC, and um, <laughs> you know we were. I mean, we were on a phone call. Literally, we all just got done doing a presentation. There was these national phone calls that, that we that we did once a month, and we were on the call. And they said, "Hey, as of today, um, Equinox International is no longer in business." I mean, it was. What did
1: you? What did you? What's the lesson you learned from that?
2: Um, the lesson that I learned is. To be careful about the culture that's created in a company because a lot of times people can be kind of like under the ether, so to speak. That's kind of what happened with us. And um, I was naive with getting involved with a business that I had done no homework on at all. I mean, I I got involved just because of the the feeling, and that's great. But also, you know, you need to be smart and do your due diligence on a company beforehand. I mean, if you would have asked me anything as far as, like, what was the revenue of the company, who was running the company, I mean, I knew a couple of people, but on the corporate end, I mean, I didn't know anybody, like, except the CEO. Like, even to this yeah. day, if you would ask me, I, I have no idea. So, um the due diligence, I think, is super important. Um, I think that's why a lot of people jump from company to company to company um, nowadays is that, you know, you got to get into your homework, and, and then once you do, have some sticking power and build.
1: Yeah, and unfortunately, um, just for our listeners' pleasure, so you don't think the FTC just randomly shuts down network marketing companies. Equinox no. was the poster child for fraud and hype and mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: craziness
3: mm-hmm. in terms
1: mm-hmm. of uh, what that mm-hmm. CEO promoted people to do to make money and mm-hmm. and build a business. But what a great place for you to learn, um, you know, because at the same time, uh, I mean I know I know that guy and uh, he he was very skilled in some of the areas of building a business
2: mm-hmm.
3: so you
1: had to learn some fantastic skills there
2: It was a best it was a best learning yeah. experience we could have ever had I mean it was yeah. it was PhD in network marketing I mean it was I think that's what has got made us so solid now um, in the perfect like that it's taught us that it taught us how to have tough skin which I think we need to have there's sometimes I see too many people get in and they're wishy-washy or someone says boo and they're like I can't do this and it's like oh gosh you guys you know it's like really so I think for us it's really helped us with the ebbs and flows and we just have learned not to flinch or when something does happen We, you know, we we've learned how to um, act instead of react when things happen in our business, and that's very different.
1: So Tony, uh, let's flip to you. Uh, How did you get started? Who told you about it? What was your response? And how did you know that person?
0: Yes, it was 1993. I was 19 years old. I was in my first semester of college. And I was just going through the motions there. I wasn't happy. I wasn't having fun. I was like, man, what am I going to do the rest of my life? And I got a call one night on a Tuesday night from my sister. I was living in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. She was in Chicago, Illinois. And she was really excited on the phone. And she's like, Tony, you have to come to Chicago, and you have to come and meet this lady. She used to be a bartender. She's now making $25,000 a month and you've got to come and see what I'm doing. And I just remember talking to her and she had so much passion and excitement over the phone. And I was like, Diana, what's going on? Like, I never heard you talk to me like this. And she just kept saying, you've got to come meet this person. You've got to come meet this person and see what I'm doing. So I remember getting in the car and driving from Milwaukee to Chicago, about an hour and a half drive, and going and meeting this incredible lady. And they did a business briefing and I remember walking into the room that night and there was probably a hundred people there and people were dressed sharp they were excited they were beautiful and they made me feel like a million bucks and they talked about all the things that I like and my interests and things like that and they made me feel so incredible that night and I remember watching the presentation and I was like wow this is absolutely amazing. Like, I'm in. I remember like halfway through just going, if they'll let me do this tonight, like, I'm gonna do it. And (laughs) I'll just be so excited to do this. And that's how I got in the business. So um, when the presentation was over, I actually had a chance to sit down with Lori, who was the bartender making $25,000 a month, and she told me her story and I got so excited because we've kind of, you know, had a similar story. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. So that's how I got in the business. And I just remember going and I never heard of network marketing prior. Like I'd never seen it, you know, at 19. Um, so I was like, this is just incredible. And I'm thinking to myself the whole time sitting there like, Oh my gosh, like, Everyone I know is going to do this. Like, I'm just like, I can't wait to take this back and, like, tell all my friends, my family, and everybody what I just found because they're going to be, like, just as excited as me and my sister and Lori. And, oh my gosh, this is going to be so easy and fun. And
1: was that the same company Sarah was in?
0: That was the same company Sarah was in. So I actually started three years earlier than Sarah started, but it was Equinox.
1: And you didn't know each other there.
0: We didn't know each other there, and we had never met. But what's crazy, Richard, is that we had the same upline, and we had a lot of the same mutual friends, but we had never met.
1: Wow. That's crazy. All right. So what did you guys do after Equinox? That's, um, you know... There's probably a few people listening to this call that that has happened to. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, companies go out of business. Uh, In fact, most companies go out of business eventually, something like 95%. So, you know, it's really important to pick a company that uh, you've done your research on and Mm -hmm. has got staying power, and there's plenty that do. And all you Mm -hmm. have to do is ask some questions. Mm-hmm. Um, but what did you guys do after Equinox?
2: Um, for me, I took the skill of inviting and recruiting. And, you know, obviously we we learned that skill in network marketing. And so I took that into the corporate world. And so I actually was a corporate recruiter and I recruited, you know, C-level executives in the finance arena. So I did that for five years is what I did. So um, I just kind of went back into – you know, sitting in a cubicle, working seventy hours a week, paid for forty um I kind of just shelved everything that I had learned in network marketing it was It was a sad time. I don't remember a lot of it. I just remember just working, paying my bills, and um you know just uh not really living you know it was just it yeah. was just kind of a blur time
1: you had to miss. The community, and you know, one of the extraordinary things that's addictive about the network marketing community is, I mean, where else? And you know, maybe, in, maybe if you're in a dot-com startup or something, but where else do you get that that culture and that environment of extreme optimism? Like, you know, next month's going to be better than this month, mm-hmm. and next year's going to be so good. It's going to be unrecognizable, and four or five years from now, we're all going to be, you know, sitting on the beach sipping Mai Tais, and mm-hmm. then you go to work for, you know, a company, and the whole the environment, everything's different. It's like, well, next month's going to be just like this month, and next year's obviously going to be just like this year, and mm-hmm. what is there to look forward to other than not getting fired, so you can pay your bills
2: oh i felt it was just like the movie groundhog day i mean literally i mean every day it was like the same thing and i I remember my boss is so crazy like he every month we would have a meeting like him and i in his office and he always asked me he's like you're leaving us aren't you I'm like, why? Because he knew. He just knew. I, and I remember sitting on my desk so many times, I'm like, why in the world would I go through those five years of lear- all that experience, learning these skill sets, all this stuff, and I wasn't using any of it. I mean, I was using a little bit of recruiting and like the sales techniques and so forth that I learned, right? But I mean, at the end of the day, it was still like, I don't, I'm like, man, what, like, what's, yeah. real, what's really happening right now? So, yeah. And, you know, and to talk about the camaraderie piece, I mean, that's everything. I mean, that is the reason that Tony and I, we love this business so much is it is about the relationships. I mean, matter of fact, Richard, some of my very, very closest friends, Tony and I, we're still friends with from Equinox 20 years ago. Still, right. like amazing, amazing friendships. And um, that's awesome. I mean, that's yeah. like, that's the greatest part of the
1: business. So, Tony, what did you do?
0: What I did was I took my skills that I learned from, you know, Equinox, and I went and worked for a data storage company in New York City, a company called EMC Square, and I was selling data storage um, for two years, and then 9-11 happened, and our whole business changed, and you know, the industry changed in data storage, and I actually then went across the country to California and I got into the finance business in the car industry and helped a friend run a Dodge Jeep Chrysler store. And I ended up doing that for three, four years. And you know what's funny, Richard? It's like I loved the opportunity that I had and I was grateful for it, but I was miserable. I remember sitting in my office one day, and this really summed it up for me why I got back in the industry. So I was sitting in this cubicle office, and it was just one of those days. And I looked over to the other glass corporate office right across from me, and it was the gentleman that I reported to, my boss. And he was like almost 50 years old, and he worked probably 80, 90 hours a week. He had a beautiful wife he'd never seen. He had these two beautiful little kids that he never spent any time with he had all these homes in different parts of the, you know, world that he would talk about and show me pictures of, but he never went on vacation there with his family and loved ones because all he did was work. He was a workaholic. And I watched him have two heart attacks in three years. And I said to myself, well, if I want to move up here, if I want to get any higher in this, you know, corporate structure, like the next position for me is his job. And I'm just thinking to myself, no, thanks. I don't want that.
1: All right. Well, let's fast forward and get to the good times. Yes. Um, so you guys joined Modare a couple of years ago. Uh, yep. And uh, you were the first distributors there. So somebody had to go find you. And that's pretty rare that company owners would go find people like you. So... Tell us quickly how that happened, and then before people make up something about how extraordinary it is to be the first distributors in a brand new company, <laughs> uh, let, me, let me just tell everybody in the listening audience that the odds of these two surviving
3: mm-hmm. being
1: the first distributors in a brand new company mm-hmm. are about one in a hundred thousand,
3: mm-hmm.
1: if not one in a million, Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, even for the company to survive is like mm-hmm. one in a thousand. But you guys are just screaming and doing a fantastic job. You've got 60,000 customers, mm-hmm. 20,000 people on your team in, mm-hmm. what, eight countries already. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But tell us how the Modare thing happened. Tell us that story quickly.
2: Okay, so, so really quickly, so... Um, you know, social media is really fascinating. So I was actually friends with a gentleman by the name of Justin Prince, who's actually one of the co-founders of Modair, And we were just friends. And um, about a year before I was pregnant with my son Hudson, so it was about four, this was actually about four and a half years ago. So mind you, like, I, we've, you know, Modair started three years ago, and officially we were in pre-launch for a year. So we've officially been in business, like, live, live for two years. So about four and a half years ago, he, um, we had become friends on Facebook, and, um, and he had said, uh, actually it was closer to five years, and he had reached out to me and said, hey, I would love to be like real friends with you instead of just Facebook friends. I know a little bit about your guys' story. I'd love to connect. Um, and so I said, sure. So we connected and, uh, had a great conversation. Um, at that time, uh, we had been, w- we were with a company for eight years. So this is actually our third company. So we were with the company for eight years. It was just time for a change. We just saw some things that, uh, we had been struggling with for a while, um, inside of that company. And we, quite frankly, for the last two years of that company, we hadn't been recruiting at all. So our belief had was gone, and uh, we were still, like, supporting our team, doing trainings, traveling, you know, all that, um, but our heart just wasn't there anymore emotionally. Um, and so when we had connected, um, we just built a great friendship, and I didn't really say anything because, you know, network marketing is, is pretty small, and so we were really careful because – um I don't know we just didn't Again, we wanted to, if we were going to look for a company, we wanted to do it kind of our way and do our due diligence on our own, Richard. We didn't want to be, you know, that hard sales pitch that sometimes that can happen inside our profession. So um, we just kind of yep. like ended that call and that was it. And fast forward, um, I had a baby. I got really busy. I never reconnected with him. Uh, a year and a half later, I finally was going through my Facebook messages and I'm like, you know What? I'm like, I never reconnected with that guy. So mind you, I had no idea that he was in the process of putting Modair together. Like I had no clue because a year and a half before that he wasn't. Um, And so I just reached out to him and said, Hey, we should we should connect. So again, we connected, we talked. I didn't really tell him where we were at um, in in regards to our business, and just got off the phone with him. And I just had kind of crazy women's intuition and said, You know what, Sarah, you need to call that guy back and You know, for one reason or another, I don't know. He never talked about Modair at that point yet because there wasn't a name. There was nothing. There was no site. There was no product. There was, like, nothing. Um, There was, like, a a little bit of a concept, right? And so so I just – it was my intuition. And so I ended up calling him back a day later, and I just said, you know, Justin, I've been really thinking about something clever to say. Why I'm calling you back, I don't know. I haven't been able to sleep. I told Tony – I, I really don't know why, but I feel compelled to tell you that we're kind of looking in the profession about doing something different, but we don't even know what, and um, and he got really quiet, and he just said, well, if you're open, like, I'd like to tell you about a project that I'm starting to work on, and so we started having these conversations and conversations and conversations, and then three weeks later, um, we ended up resigning from our company we were with for 8 years and now we've been here 3 years so it's really a unique situation on how we got here
1: so tony tell us because i know you're you're involved a lot in like what uh, with the whole company give people a little flavor of what it's like just in case anybody's salivating over being the first distributor in a startup <clears throat> what What's it like in the beginning? Besides exciting, uh, what are some of the challenges that you guys faced?
0: Well, I remember, it's a great qu- question, Richard. When we got started, um, we had this excitement and we had this big vision, right? We just kind of threw it out in front of us and we were running towards it. And we didn't have websites, we didn't have tools. Um, we basically did these conference calls to kind of share with people the vision of what we were going to build and what we were doing and why they needed to do it with us. And I remember we sponsored 20 people pretty fast in the business, you know, probably the first 30, 45 days. And nineteen of those people um, quit the business, so you know Sarah and I, yeah, yeah, it was great we're like, oh man, we're these great you know leaders, and you know we bring twenty people into business, and oh my gosh, that 's going to turn into a thousand it 's just a matter of time in the next ninety days, and nineteen left the business and you know, Sarah and I just had a laugh at that one because you know the ups and downs were a lot for us you know, the first six months of this business. And, you know, we'd have people say, you know what, Tony, we're behind you. We're going to do this. You know, we're going to fill the rooms. And I remember this one person got in the business, Richard, and they said, you know what, you just get to my city. I'm going to have 150 people there. (laughs) Tony, this is absolutely incredible. And I remember him picking me up from the airport and You know, us going to the event where it was going to be, and he's telling me how amazing it's going to be, and he's kind of telling me all the people that are going to be there and how excited they are, and I remember getting there, and there was like three people that showed up, and we actually turned, you know, this big meeting into just us sitting down and having some dinner because – You know, that's how things work. And one of the best things I can, you know, remember from those first six months and the ebbs and flows and all the craziness that happened is Sarah and I just, we had to have a sense of humor. We had to keep a smile on her face because everything we thought was going to happen or how we thought it was going to happen, it didn't go that way. It didn't even go close to the way we thought it was going to happen. But it's what Sarah said. She goes, Tony, you know what? Guess what? If we stay consistent with what we're doing and we keep moving this the way we're moving it, it's going to work. And no matter what had happened on a daily, weekly, monthly basis those first six months, we stayed consistent, Richard. And, you know, Sarah, you can kind of talk after six months how it just turned then.
1: Well, and and during that, let's focus, too, on that consistency because
3: uh-huh. –
1: I mean, I think we could we could all write a book and do a week long seminar on, you know, if you if you track a thousand people who get involved in network marketing and you track their first six months, what percentage of them are actually consistent in their invites, in mm-hmm. their presentations, in their enrollments, regardless of the outcome. Mm-hmm. You know, regardless of who quits, regardless of who gets in, regardless of looking at it, you know, even five months down the road and going, well, this isn't working, this isn't paying off. I mean, the the percentage of people that give up, I mean, for them, consistency is one day. I mean, mm-hmm. one day of being consistent, that's probably 50%. Three days of consistency is probably the next 25% being uh, maybe a couple of weeks of consistency will take you, well, that'll take 90% of the people out of the game. Mm -hmm. So what is it that had you know that, Sarah, what is it, maybe it was your Agile experience for eight years, but what is it that had you know that no matter what the results were, who quit, who got in, how long it took, what it looked like, how many people showed up. You had to keep consistent in your activities in order for it to pay off. How did you know that and what did you do for that 6 months?
2: So, two two things. One of the things that we learned in our business that you know, you in your business, you duplicate no matter what. You'd either duplicate bad or you'd duplicate great. And we knew that we had to be the proper mold for our business at all times. And number two, we also realized, I for myself personally, that redoing, going back and redoing every time, I mean, that is a lot of energy. Um, it's kind of like starting a fire. Like if you, every time you have to like, you know, once that fire got started, you would blow it out, and you would have to start it all over. I mean, that is a lot of energy. So, I realized that, you know, the the redoing thing is that's way harder to do than just, you know, be staying consistent, but also understanding um, that, you know, the process is is so more valuable. I mean, I, I think too for for me, I, I I'm a I'm a, a routine type person. So I knew that for myself mentally that if it was something that I did over and over and over and over again, it would it would become part of my routine and and what I did. So even though in the beginning it was it was difficult to do. Tony a lot of times talks about like the analogy of like building a muscle, like in the beginning, it's hard to build that muscle up. But then once you've got it, that's the same thing here about, you know, I mean, we even have just something, you know, the simple as we've all heard like the two a day with, inter- you know, introducing maybe it's building a relationship with someone or introducing a business. You know, I-, I see too many people that are like, You know, Sarah, I'm going to do five a day. I'm going to do ten a day. I'm like, dude, here's the deal. Let's just – how about you do one a day? Like, that would be awesome. start with one. Let's just do – like, if you did one every day, like, you would have so many people, but it's about that consistency piece. And so, um, too, or, too, like, people talk about, well, I run out of people to connect with um, or talk to, but if you really were out there building those relationships with two a day, you would never – Um, run out of people to connect with so just understanding it's a you know falling in love with the process not the results Um, but then no realizing too that you need to be the proper mold for your business as a leader and so we do that in every area of our business where we go okay guys If someone was doing exactly what we were doing now, like, would that duplicate? You know, how how does that work inside of our business? So that's been kind of a good gauge for us where we learn to pull back or go, hey, you know, like, we have to make sure that someone in our seventh generation of our business can do that. Otherwise, we don't do it, you know. So the consistency is everything. And also, too, it's taught me how to be um, that discipline has, has filtered into every area of my life with personal development, my physical activity, things with my kids, our relationship together, being consistent with date night, sp- spending time, being able to, you know, separate the business from our, our love life and our family life. Like that consistency piece has now woven into every area of our life from just, you know, working that discipline really
1: hard. Okay, so let's talk about, um, I think people probably really want to know, all right, you're one of those people that have built a big group. How did you do it? And I think what people want to know from both of you is, okay, you knew people from network marketing, but they're not necessarily the best prospects because
3: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, once you do network marketing, you tend to always do it. Mm-hmm. So everybody you think you're going to prospect, well, they're already doing something.
3: Mm-hmm. They're either
1: in the company you left, which, you know, I don't imagine you raided that company or,
3: Mm-mm. you know, if
1: they were in Equinox, they're probably off doing something else. And then
3: mm-hmm.
1: even if they're not doing something else, network marketers are not always the best people to prospect because they know it all and mm-hmm. they overanalyze and, you know, mm-hmm. they're tough. So. The people I want you to, like, if you could focus on telling the, the listeners, how did you go find people that weren't in network marketing? Where did you find people like that? What did those people do for a living? How did you approach them? What are some of your systems and your your programs for connecting with people, presenting to people, and getting people to see the picture, like how do you inspire people to see themselves in network marketing?
0: Tony? Well, one of the things that, you know, this is absolutely brilliant question, Richard, because when Sarah and I started Modair three years ago, we sat down and had this same conversation, and we said, you know what, we're going to, are you okay with making that commitment right now that we're going to have to go talk to a couple hundred people outside of the profession and people that you know have been friends acquaintances people that we just live our life with people that we just you know we go and see and we've built this great relationship with that we really never talk to them about our business i said are you okay with really you know taking them through the process when you know they're ready to go through that process Of hearing what it is that we're doing now and Sarah said absolutely and I remember us sitting down and going through our phone just going through um, our Facebook accounts just going and, and thinking okay who's really not in network marketing that's in our life and you know that we've met from the kids playing sports or the kids preschool or church or you know all these different groups we're in you know when we lived in Southern California, you know when we lived when we moved back to Minneapolis that we've just became friends with because one of the things that we 're really good at we 're really good at making friends and building relationships and really getting to know people and we don 't like to stick the business down people 's throat so you know, one of the things that we learned together is as a couple is just to really love on people, get to know people, make them feel like a million bucks and be normal, be authentic and really have great conversations. And I remember Sarah and I, we started talking to people about this and we started introducing this to them. And our thing in the beginning was when it was right, we did it. And people always say, well, Tony, when is it right? Well, you just got to know you've got to have that intuition and and you will know um, when it's right to bring up your business to them. And we brought up our business as you know, we put our list together and as we started talking to people and what was pretty amazing about it, Richard, is that, you know, it was a simple invite. You know, we had a call that we did on a regular basis. So we would just invite people into this call and have them get on and have them listen to it. And it was very non-threatening. It wasn't where we were, you know, selling them hard or twisting their arm. It was a very casual conversation, but it was very short, direct. The posture was there, and there was a little bit of urgency. There was a little bit of time, you know, sensitive there as well, but it was it was very authentic, and one of the things that, you know, had really helped us, you know, have a lot of people look at this very quickly is that You know, it's a very easy, authentic conversation to have with people to get them to see this and to get them to go through the information, and we did a really good job at that from, you know, beginning to end, and we created a lot of buzz. We created a lot of excitement with people, which really um, gave us, you know, more confidence and gave us uh, a pretty strong... Um, base And I remember telling Sarah this. This was everything to what we did in the beginning when we started talking to people. I said, Sarah, these conversations, what we do with people, I said, what we do, if we're consistent, it, it's going to compound every day. And I said, Sarah, we might not see it in a week. We might not see it in a month. We might not see it even in six months. But I said, it's eventually going to show up. And it's going to show up in a big way. And I said, you've got to be okay with that. And she goes, Tony, I'm okay with that. And we made that commitment. Yeah, that's
1: beautiful. All right, so one of the things I heard in there, which is beautiful and simple, is you just, in an authentic way, invited people to get on your conference call and listen mm-hmm. to the opportunity.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: No, no pressure, no manipulation, mm-hmm. just, hey, this is what we're doing. We're, we're on fire about it. Would if you want to hear about it?
3: Mm-hmm. Calls
1: Tuesday night, seven o'clock. yay mm-hmm. or nay? Yeah. So, uh, Sarah, what about for you? Any other specific approaches <laughs> or systems that you used to uh, find people?
2: Um, yes, I I uh, I love people, and our friends and the people that we met, um, they know that we care. And that's really important um, yep. they know that it's not just somebody on a list it's they don't feel like we've got this crazy agenda or motive uh, to get them involved. Um, I look at everyone that I meet every day they either enrich my life or I have the opportunity to enrich theirs in one way or another. Um, they all know what we do um, but it's not weird. We still have fantastic relationships. And I think sometimes people are more are concerned about, you know, what are people going to think, or I don't want to talk to these people. And the reality is it's typically because they're trying to make the business about them. And if you really utilize the tools that your company has to introduce the business – if they say no, they're saying no to those tools, not to you um, you know, but if you're doing all the talking, then obviously it's going it's about you so for me, it's all about the relationships um we I love to use the four year career as an introduction. A lot of people at the end of the day, they still don't know what network marketing is i mean it's shocking I mean how many people, even when I'm flying on a plane and I tell them what I do, and they're like, oh so like." computers like networking like networking <laughs> administrator i'm like what like it's crazy yeah. and i'm like no and then i just then i'm just super bold so they understand I'm like no you know like amway shackley you know like one of those and they're like oh you know and um but you know what's really cool richard we're so proud to be in network marketing that even after i say that and i'm just quiet and then they don't say anything, they always come back to me, and they're like, so, like, what company? I mean, it's cr- because I think they just realize, wow, she doesn't hide behind what she's doing. Like, she doesn't try to, because it's an amazing, amazing profession, but you've got to get solid, and you need to get educated, and that's why I love the four-year career. I love Mock 2. Um, that has, ha- that. gosh, I read that all- quite a long time ago, but I li- re-listened to it over and over again. I've given it as gifts. Um, I love giving it to people when they have a challenge with a vision. You know, Tony talked about when we um, early on, when we first got involved with Modair, we had those people that quit. It's because a lot of them said they were visionaries because it was so early on, right? We were in pre-launch, but they really weren't, and that's okay. But again, it's the having that vision and what does that vision look like for you? Um, that's so important as you're building this business because. Um, You've got to learn the skills, and a lot of times it takes a while to, to catch on. Yes, there are some people that come in, and they do, they're rock stars in the beginning. Um, that wasn't me, and thank God that I learned how to have a vision, and even for Tony and I, like, our vision is so big right now. Like, we've thrown it so far out that we're chasing it every day, and you've got to be able to do that as you build your network marketing business.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. All right, uh, classic hero call question. Uh, you can each take one of these. Um, you, you decide. Um, and I want you to answer this uh, twofold. Uh, in your entire network marketing career, what is the single biggest mistake you've made? Maybe you made it once. Maybe you made it repetitively. And it may not be a financial mistake in terms Mm -hmm. of it cost you business. Maybe it costs you relationship, health, integrity. Um, What's the single biggest mistake in your entire career? And then uh, an addendum to that, what's the single biggest mistake you've made so far in Hmm. You have to have at least made one.
2: Of course. Oh, my gosh.
1: Who's going to answer that?
0: (laughs) Well, I'll answer the first part. Um, The biggest mistake that I've made in my career since 1993 was when I came into the business, Richard. You know, I was 19, and I didn't think like an entrepreneur. My mindset wasn't as an entrepreneur, and I remember – fighting personal development, reading books, listening to things, and wanting to grow and be better. I thought that I could kind of skate by and do the minimums as far as just kind of show up with a smile on my face, go through the motions, but not really work on Tony and grow and get better And evolve, and I thought I could make the money the big income earners were making by just kind of skating by. And when, and I did that for a good three, four years. And I used, you know, my I thought I could use my personality. I thought I could use,
3: you know, different (laughs) things. Your good looks. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. (laughs) My smile. If I just, you know, smile, you know. It, it's going to work, and I remember fighting it. And I remember telling people, "Yeah, I, I read those books, and 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 I didn't read those books. Yeah, I did those things to be better and to grow, but I didn't do it, Richard. And it then became a character and integrity thing for me. And I just had a defining moment. I was sitting in a training. You know, it was uh, a seven-day training and it was in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I just remember crying for like 15 minutes straight, and I was just like, I've got to start doing what I'm saying I'm doing. I've got to start getting better. I got to start doing the things I'm telling other people to do, and once I started doing that, It was like this big weight came off me, Richard, and everything changed for my business, for the people around me, and it was the best feeling in the whole wide world.
1: Yeah, that um, I had that exact same epiphany and that exact same approach to the business for the first two and a half years. I went to all the events. I, I did a lot of the things, but when it came to personal development, which for me just really boiled down to changing my whole mindset and my story such that I was motivated and attractive and had the right energy and you know didn't procrastinate and didn't sabotage and all that stuff, it took me two and a half years of trying to fake it mm-hmm. and telling other people to do it and telling other people I was doing it before and I had to hit rock bottom before I said you know what I I guess I'm not cool enough to get by without doing it Mm. and I really thought I was and um, boy it didn't take very long to actually doing the work before things transformed I mean just a matter of months and everything went to magic so what's the biggest mistake in Modair?
2: Uh, I there's probably two that I can think of for for myself um, well one for I think for both of us but then the second won't be for myself the first mistake would be um, we're doing it now but it probably took us a year and a half in is that um, we were really serious about this business like too much Um, (laughs) way too much, you know, but again, it's, we, we wanted it so bad. Right. So it's, it's a really, for us, it was a, it was a tough thing that we had to, we had to learn how to have fun in this thing. And if you're not having fun in your business, like you're just not going to attract people in it. I mean, they're just going to be like, I don't want that lifestyle. I don't want that. Like these guys are so serious. And um, so for us, I think we needed to learn how to have fun and um, understand too that um, you know, ev- just all these relationships that we meet, like it's all going to happen as long as we're consistent. You know, it's going to happen in the time that it's supposed to happen, and if we're doing the daily disciplines, um, it's all going to come full circle. And being patient with that, um, we that that ha- uh, that was a big lesson for us. And the second one for me me would be the biggest mistake that I made is I questioned myself a lot. And I think, you know, my question to myself would be, you know, am I good enough? Like, Sarah, can you really pull this off? Even though I'd been in the profession as long as I had. Like, I still think that – People, we, we're humans. We struggle with that, um, I, especially the "Am I good enough?" piece. I mean, it really is. And um, so, just you know, if I learning how to really manage that, I, I've done that over the last probably year, year and a half now. Not questioning myself so much because, again, what happens is then it's in my mind mentally. I have to like, it's a redo, right? It's like all that energy that it takes to do that versus. Um, you know, just learning how to be confident in myself and know that, like Sarah, you you got this. You know, you you got this. You can do this as long as you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're consistent. You're tenacious. You're having fun. Um, you know you've got this. And, and I think that, I think a little bit of that too comes from Richard. You know, I'm a new mom, right? So I've got two little kids. So it's that whole dynamic, you know, also probably had a little bit of a plan as, Hey, am I good enough with being a new mom and building a new business and being a good wife and being a good friend and being a good leader? um, You know, that can sometimes be daunting and just, you know, learning how to be okay with that. And the more real and the more authentic I can be with people, um, people love that and they go, hey, I can do this business versus it having it to be so perfect that quite frankly that, that hurts your team because then they go, oh, my gosh, like she's got it together. Like I can't do that versus, you know, I talk, I did a three-way call with someone last night and, you know, afterwards I was laughing with the person on my team because I'm like, Dude, if they only knew I just changed a, you know, crazy blowout diaper three minutes before the call, you know what I mean? And my, and my, and my teammate, they laugh, they love that. They're like, oh, that's awesome. Oh my gosh. You know, but it just endears you to your team too, right? And so I think that just is the more authentic that you can be and understand that you are good enough and what you have is, is important. Um, And all of us bring amazing talents to the table and every single person matters. um, That's part of the team. Um, It's just, the better business you're going to build. And so I've learned really hard uh, – I've learned really well, excuse me, on not questioning myself anymore as I build this business.
1: Yeah, you said some – you had some real gems in there, Sarah, about uh, keeping it fun and Mm -hmm. uh, the daily disciplines and Mm -hmm. not not expecting so much of yourself to be perfect. You know, Mm -hmm. I think – If we interviewed, if we could capture the actual presentation that was given to the top 10,000 network marketing professionals in the world, if we could capture the presentation that enrolled them, I know what we would find is it isn't anything like what the company taught them to do or what Eric (laughs) teaches them to do. or. Nobody gets in from a textbook presentation. Right. People get in from average presentations, lousy presentations, crazy presentations that don't make any sense at all, but are presented by somebody that believes what they're saying, and and they just happen to catch somebody, the right person at the right time, and mm-hmm. um, that's one of the reasons I I like encourage people to stay part-time is,
3: mm-hmm. you know,
1: if you're full-time and you're you're promoting people to do what you do, mm-hmm. they look at you and they, they say, well, I, I can't do that. I'm not going to go full-time.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And they have such high expectations of us when we're full-time. Mm-hmm. So those okay. of you out there listening, stay far part-time for as Agreed. long as you possibly can. It makes you believable Mm -hmm. and it makes you user-friendly and Mm -hmm. much better system
2: i agree i mean we tell people like your story is much stronger part-time than full-time because the relatability piece and at the end of the day too i mean i we don't want people to go full-time like i mean we want them to be debt-free we want them to have a lot of money in the bank we want that you know like we don't want people you know, you, building this business out of desperation is horrible. I mean, you want to build this business because you've got this money that you can stash away, et cetera. I mean, that's the. It's let it be supplemental, no matter how big it is. Um, you know, I just I I love a part-time story. It's just people can people can't relate to our story. I mean, that's why I tell so many part-time stories when I sit down with a prospect. I don't talk about our story. I really don't because They just can't relate. I mean, they're just like, wow, wow, well, there's no way I can do that.
1: One of the things people realize when they go full-time is there's not that much to do.
2: (laughs) No. And you know what, Richard, that is such a great point because I'll tell you what, I have more people that get – we have more people that get stuff done part-time than they do people that are full-time. Because the time that, that someone, that person has part-time, they know that they have to do activities that make the money, right? Which is inviting, presenting, follow-up, and enrolling people. They know they have to stay really focused in on that. So I love part-time people versus sometimes you're like, I'm going to go full-time. And we're like, oh, God, don't do it, you know, because like you said, they get too much time on their hands then a lot of times. Yep.
1: So what are your daily disciplines?
2: Tony, you want to talk about that?
0: Go ahead, babe. You're on a roll.
2: Oh, geez. You're so <laughs> cute. Honey, you're so funny. Okay. Um, our daily disciplines are, um, for sure, personal development. Um, I do a lot of reading. Tony does a lot of audio. That's kind of how we're wired. Um, I will do audio when our our um, our little kids actually go to a Spanish immersion school. Um, during the day we have them there not because we have to have them there we do it because we want them to be bilingual in spanish so my son's bilingual already and my daughter's on her way um so um so I do a lot of audio that way when, I, when I'm driving them. Um, we do that before we do any of our business, before we get on emails, before we check voicemails, before we te- check text, before we get inundated with all that other stuff out there. Um, We've got to get our mind right. Um, I'll tell you, your whole day is set up very differently versus if you don't. Um, so we do personal development, a good 30 minutes. Um, if I wake up and I feel like it's, I'm having, it's gonna be a little bit tougher of a day, I don't know why mentally, I'll do double personal development because I know I need to kind of like really set myself up that day. Um, and that helps me quite a bit. Um, and then for us, you know, people ask me, you know, what does our day look like? It really depends on like what we have set up. If we have outside appointments set up to sit down face to face to, either introduce the business to someone or do maybe a follow-up with them if they're local and help them get started um, or, like, a game plan, you know, whatever it may be. Um, So we've got outside appointments. Um, I always encourage people to, you know, yes, this is a home-based business, but it doesn't mean you stay home, you know, like it – As you always say, you're in the people business, so getting out there and connecting with people and the relationships are really important. Um, So we do that a lot. We always make a point to like, hey, we've got to get out and connect with people. Um, And then also the daily disciplines of I still do the two a day, as silly as that sounds. I just know that that helps me in my routine. I've got to connect with at least two people a day, whether it's a new friendship, um, whether it's introducing someone to the business, um, and then also to... Our daily discipline is if we introduce someone to Modair the day before, we always make sure we do follow-up within 24 hours, like no matter what. We're really diligent about that um, piece of it, doing follow-up with them. Um, So then obviously we're doing follow-up as a daily discipline every day. Um, And then also, too, we make a point to... Um, Because we work together, I mean, we're together 24-7. Some people love that. Some people are like, I could never do that. We've found a way to make that work. So it's important that we break up our day um, to spend some time just him and I. Um, You know, potentially we like to do it during the day. Um, We'll do like a fun lunch date or just go on a walk or take a breather or um, whatever it may be. We found ourselves when we come back, we're just waiting. Uh, just a lot stronger um, that way. If we break up the day every day, so um, those are some of our daily disciplines that we do every day as we live our life and build this business.
1: Beautiful. Okay, uh, let's wrap this up by you sharing with people um, what's what's the Zalecki legacy. What are you guys building? What's that big vision? that you're happily chasing what are you creating and contributing to this profession what does it look like what's it sound like what's it smell like
0: well we want to build just an incredible community worldwide where we serve we empower people we pour into people we communicate with them we listen to them we love on them and we're there for them. I think, you know, when Sarah and I talked about this, and we kind of have a probably a monthly discussion on this, on legacy, and, you know, we're constantly adding to it. We're constantly having a clearer vision for it, but just we want to be mentors. We want to be a source for people to plug into, and The business, great, but, you know, financially, emotionally, all these different areas, we want to be there to serve people, and we just do that authentically. We do that with love. We do that without a motive, and we really do that because we want to change the world.
2: I think, too, we want people to become the best version of themselves, and a lot of people, they don't have someone that can whisper in their ear, gently lean on them, you know, and tell them, hey, you can do that. And, you know, we believe that Modair and and all the companies inside network marketing are really a vehicle to help people, you know, fulfill their dreams, whatever whatever that may be. And so for me, I love helping people, you know, dust off their dreams. I mean, it's so cool, Richard. So my dad is a retired mailman, right, 34 years. You know, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. I mean, the was out of four. And um, my dad's involved with us in Modair and it's so cool because he'd never – and he's been in the profession forever. Uh, matter of fact, Eric got him involved in NSA back in the day, I mean, forever long ago, and he said, I'll never do network marketing again, blah, blah, blah. He was only in for, like, a minute, um, and uh, he – um, so I got him involved in Modair and it's so cool because I remember the, like the second time we connected, um, or the second like presentation that we had, my dad was actually doing a testimonial, right? Which is so cool. And, you know, it was interesting cause he's like, you know, it's so cool because like for the first time in 33 years, I actually feel like I have my dreams coming back to me and I had shelved them 33 years ago. And, and here I am today. So when you're sitting in a room and you're doing a presentation and your dad's telling that story, it's pretty freaking awesome. You know, yeah. to know that you had that little piece, like that's what inspires me where I get passionate when I'm like, oh my gosh, like I get to be just the little light that like ignites that in someone. Like that's why I have a hard time going, Hey, I'm going to retire in this business because There's just a lot of people out there that, I mean, you get to be a lighthouse for so many people. And we want to be this massive lighthouse that we just, like, light people on fire and, number one, either bring them, you know, reinvigorate and breathe life into them or help them, you know, realize their dreams. And so um, it's way bigger than selling a product. You know what I mean? It's way bigger than, you know, getting a check. It's about – you know, the lives that you get to um, be a part of. And we're just so honored to be in network marketing.
1: Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, the idea of retirement from network marketing is really crazy. So imagine you did retire, and so you're retired. Maybe. You're oh, my gosh, we go nuts. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're gardening. Um, maybe you're volunteering, And somebody asks you, so what do you do? And you say, I'm retired. What are you retired from? Oh, well, uh, Modair, this network marketing opportunity. Oh, well, tell me about that.
3: (laughs) You can't can't retire. (laughs) Uh, Right. That's great.
1: Yeah. All right. We're going to wrap this up as we do. With, uh, because we're over time, it has to be quick. Do you have a final question? Only this time we turn the tables in USB.
0: Yes, I do.
1: I I can tap this with.
0: Yes, a burning question. What would be the one thing you would do different, Richard, when you were in the middle of momentum in your business?
1: No, well, I've never been asked that question, Tony. That's a good question. Um, I have to think about the times when I've actually been in momentum. There's not, not very many of them. <laughs> uh, you know, two things come up for me. Uh, in You know, working the business when you're in momentum is not a problem because, you know, what happens It's that tipping point where you quit driving people to do what you're doing and you get at least one of them, if not three or four, to actually start doing what you're doing. And then the tables turn and you're no longer driving, you're chasing. You're trying to keep up. And, you know, that's the illustration for your career of getting your car over the hill. And, you know, my experience is that happens when you get two or three hundred people on your team, and so you've got maybe, you know, five or ten leaders somewhere in there, and you've got one that's probably a really, you know, kind of like you, kind of a superstar. And then, you know, everything just changes. That's momentum is when it's no longer you making things happen. You're trying to keep up with people that are making things happen, and that's when growth happens. So it's not working the business that I would do different, because when people say, hey, I've got a three-way, I've got an event, and they actually have events with people in them, and, you know, fulfilling those obligations is fun. The business becomes fun in momentum. And, and what I would do different, I would hope, my least favorite word, is that I would pay... More um, astute attention to my finances and Mm -hmm. my health Mm -hmm. and my relationships. Let's take those three. What we tend to do in momentum is spend money recklessly, Mm -hmm. like momentum's never going to end, and all momentum ends. Whether it's your team or it's a company, all momentum plateaus out and so the really wise network marketer anticipates the plateau and starts building a new team so that they can sort of tarzan you know swinging through the jungle one momentum event at a time so you go from one to another because you've prepared for it by filling your pipeline with new leaders mm-hmm. but you know, every leadership organization plateaus. Every company plateaus, and then if they're going to be a legacy organization or a legacy company, they grow again because somebody's creating that. And so you you can't spend money recklessly. Um, you know, network marketers are are famous for just being totally in debt and having no mm-hmm. cash, mm-hmm. and spending like there's no tomorrow and So I would do that different because I certainly did it. Um, You know, I think like just a huge commitment that is so valuable is no matter how frantic things are, no matter how exciting they are, no matter how fast you're chasing, you know, take an hour for your body Mm -hmm. and take an hour for your relationships. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just be present to those people that love you and those people that you love because that's more important to them than how much money you're making or how much momentum you're in is being present to them. And I wasn't. Hmm. I spent money like crazy and I didn't pay attention to my health, which created some long-term habits and, in many cases, I didn't pay attention to my relationships. I would do those three things differently. Um, and you know what, Tony? I wouldn't even trust myself to do those things differently. Um, and that's why I have coaches.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: You know, mm-hmm. I've spent, uh, well, I quit adding it up about 10 years ago, but somebody asked me about 10 years ago, how much money I had spent on personal coaching, transformational coaching—not business coaches, not like strategists, but but people that I would hire to reinvent me personally mm. and hold me accountable to the commitments that I declared. Um, by the time I was fifty, I'd already spent a quarter of a million dollars on transformational seminars and. Personal coaches mm. wow. and um, that investment you know paid off a thousandfold. Mm. And I think you know that's just a really valuable lesson for all of us in this profession is we are in a profession where we get paid what we are worth to other people. What are we worth as a leader? What are we worth as a thought leader, as an inspiration, as a role model? What are we worth to other people? And we can get paid a million dollars a year, but that's because we're worth that much to other people. And so we just, you know, we are the best investment we can make. Investing $10,000 in us because we're network marketing professionals wouldn't make sense if you're working for, Cloud-based this, or dealership finance that, or Mm -hmm. you know, whatever job wouldn't necessarily make sense. But in our profession, investing in us uh, can easily provide a tenfold return within three or four years. And where do you? Where else can you get that kind of return on investment? You know, Mm -hmm. so you could put ten grand in the stock market and get ten grand ten years later. Or you could put ten grand in you and get a hundred grand a year every year. Three or four years later. This is the place to invest in mm-hmm. our mind, our thoughts, our beliefs, our leadership. And that's a good place to wrap this call. Mm-hmm. Sarah, Thank you. And wow. honey, you are wow. extraordinary gifts to our mm-hmm. profession. Role model leaders, great experience, great wisdom, and you're on a roll. And Kimmy and I are so excited for you, and Mm -hmm. we look forward to seeing you every time we get together at some Mm -hmm. fun industry event. Mm -hmm. And I know, Tony, you've got to catch a plane and go make big things happen. Mm -hmm. So we'll wrap it. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you, Richard. Thank you, it's an Richard. honor to be on. Thank you again.
0: Thank you for joining us on this episode of Richard Bliss Brooks Network Marketing Heroes Podcast. For more invaluable training tools, such as audios, videos, and of course, his best-selling books, The Four-Year Career, and Mach 2 with Your Hair on Fire, head to blissbusiness.com. For 10% off your order, use discount code HERO at checkout. If you're serious about building your business, make sure to subscribe to Richard's blog for all the latest tools and articles.